Welcome to That Reminds Me of a Story, a podcast dedicated to exploring emerging trends in orality and the communication of the gospel. Our podcast focuses on interviewing practitioners, hearing what is happening in the field of orality, and answering common questions about the orality movement. That Reminds Me of a Story is co-hosted by Grant Lovejoy and yours truly, Don Barger. In each episode, we will host conversations with a wide variety of practitioners to discuss the impacts of working with oral preference learners from many different contexts and perspectives. In today's episode, we are going to tackle one of the most common questions we get, and that is, how do you story parts of scripture that are not narrative? And I I once again got this same question over the weekend. I was leading a training for college students and they they asked that same question. So Grant, I know that you have written on this topic and it's one that we frequently get asked what was what is the simple answer and then we will delve into a more complicated response. Uh, the simple answer is that we teach the of the Bible in its proper context in the larger biblical story. You, you put the, the other parts of the scripture into the storyline where they belong. So sort of like connecting things that you read in the epistles, you would connect that with missionary journeys and how the gospel spread. Yeah, that's it. And that, that is a fundamental principle of sound interpretation and teaching of the Bible anyway, is that you want to take any portion that you're trying to understand or teach and put it back in its right context, including, among other things, its historical context. What events had led up to it? You know, how was it a response to a particular situation? And then what events flowed from it? So we have a larger storyline of the Bible that is our timeline, and we take teachings from the Psalms or the Epistles or elsewhere and try to situate them in that timeline. So I think it helps to think about there are different genre of Scripture, and some of those are certainly more easily told as stories than others. A narrative is very easy to tell as a story. What what do you do with, you mentioned Psalms. What about something like a proverb? How does that fit in? Yeah, well, I would make sort of two points. One is that I would try to give people a good grasp of the basic storyline of the Bible, the key people, the key events, the key institutions or the key symbols. If people have the basic storyline of the Bible in mind, then they have a lot of vocabulary and a lot of conceptual framework that then makes teaching any other part of the Bible easier, just because you're not starting from zero. Well, I think there's ways to look at scripture as, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts of seeing the the huge meta narrative, the, the big picture, the big story of scripture. And if you look at the meta narrative of scripture, you can then go back in and place um, the non-narrative portions, which sometimes are more narrative than than we think they are. Um, but but an epistle can then be anchored in the story that you find perhaps in the book of Acts. So as you lay that foundation, as people understand what happened in Acts, they understand they know that there's a church in Philippi. So as they know this, then, then there's a letter that's written to that church, and this is addressing an issue or uh, di- for different purposes, the, the epistles were written, but they were always uh, written to one church uh, dealing with something that was going on there, and, and that was coming in the uh, context of 
how the church expanded in the in the book of Acts as we hear that story played out. You know, if you plunge into the middle of Leviticus with someone who knows nothing of Scripture, it's just a hard slog. Partly that's because of Leviticus, but also just because they don't have any larger framework. But you take somebody who's already learned, say, 30 or 40 Old Testament stories and a comparable number in the New Testament, they have a, a much bigger grasp of basically what the Bible's about, what God is about. And so those other portions of the Bible that are often, you know, celebrations of what God has done or reflections mm -hmm. of what God expects his people, then those make a lot more sense. It's not to say it's absolutely easy, but it's a lot easier. Uh, it's, it's like trying to teach uh, the letter to the Hebrews without someone knowing anything about the Old Testament sacrificial system or priestly system. It, it's just a very difficult challenge for lack of background. So my point was that you have consideration is just any biblical teaching goes better when people have a, the basic storyline of the Bible in mind that they, they understand. Then beyond that, I would say there are specific situations where a particular non-narrative part of the Bible is especially so well suited to fit in some other particular place of the Bible. So it's sort of like what we've always talked about, having people helping people understand the meta-narrative of Scripture, the big picture, and then everything else fits more nicely than if you, I like what you say, you don't want to start in Leviticus. That, that probably wouldn't get very far. But if we help people have a bigger understanding of Scripture, then it's easier to, to place things where they go. So those specific other genre that are difficult, how would you just give me an example of how you would take uh, an epistle, for example, and help people put that in the proper perspective and proper place? Yeah. If I want to teach from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, for instance, one of the very best things I can do is make sure I narrate well what Acts says about Paul's visit and ministry in Philippi so that people understand about Lydia and her household coming to faith in Christ and about the slave girl who was demon-possessed and how Paul delivered her of that demon and how that made her owners angry and they brought accusations against Paul and Silas and the others had them jailed and where they were beaten. And then the Philippian jailer was saved uh, as there was an earthquake. And so I want to narrate all of that and then say, sometime later, you know, after Paul had continued on his missionary journeys, he was imprisoned when messengers came from the city of Philippi, from the church, and they brought a report about how things were going. And in response to that, prompted by God's Holy Spirit, Paul dictated a letter. And so I want to give that kind of background so that whatever then we look at in the letter of Paul to the Philippians is situated in that larger historical setting. And so that the people I'm trying to teach uh, Philippians to have these concrete examples of real people, real life situations, that concreteness, that historical rootedness helps the epistle to speak more uh, meaningfully then if it's just like, well, these are just ideas that are sort of floating around in the truth sphere. No, they are. It's what, you know, in biblical studies, we talk about as an occasional letter. Occasional meaning that it was addressed to a specific time and place, a specific occasion. Well, if you think about particularly the epistles, they're a lot more narrative than you, than you would think at first. I mean, you mentioned an occasional letter, but that letter is being written to a specific audience and 
by a specific person for a specific reason. And so there is elements of narrative in there, even though it's a, it's a letter, it is all in a certain context. Yeah, and in most cases, there's a problem that's being addressed. Yeah. In some cases, lots of problems. Uh, Paul's letter that we know is the first letter to Corinth. It's a whole series of issues that Paul addresses. A little phrase, now concerning, now concerning, now concerning, yeah. shows that he is moving through a kind of checklist of, of topics that he wants to address in the church. And each of those is capable of being kind of reconstituted from the what we have and just go back and, and try to recreate based on solid biblical historical study. You know, what was going on, say, with the man who was living with his father's wife? So we try to recreate that and then say, okay, that was the situation. That was the problem. Here's what Paul had to say. So that there is a lot of narrative element that's already wrapped up in the situation. Same kind of thing. If you want to teach the letter to the Ephesians, one of the very, very best things you can do is help people to narrate through the whole series of events that are reported in Acts chapter 19 about Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And I, I, I uh, talked with uh, a creator of curriculum for a large church in the U.S. who want, they wanted to teach Ephesians, but they had been really very successful with Bible storytelling as a model. And so as we talked about this, I said, you know, you, you might try this. And he, he immediately saw it. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, I can see how different sections of the book of Ephesians correlate really well to different parts of the narrative of what Paul did in Ephesus. So the section on spiritual warfare, for instance, he was going to tie to the section where people who were new to the faith of Christianity burned the magic books that they owned as an expression of their breaking from the old power and trusting themselves to Christ. Yeah, so in the past, when I first asked you about this and we sat down and talked about this. You mentioned a book by a man named Ben Witherington III. The book is Paul's Narrative Thought World, The Tapestry of Tragedy and Triumph. And in that book, he lays out several, he says a lot of really interesting things. One of which is that basically all of the things that Paul is writing about are grounded in, in a story. And, and a great deal come from Hebrew scriptures. Maybe extrapolate a little bit more on what you've learned as you've read through uh, Witherington's book. Yeah, but I think that he is, he is, he's right in that fundamental insight that when Paul thought about Christianity, he thought of it first and foremost as the story that is revealed in the pages of scripture. Uh, God is creator, the fall, and God's choosing of a people for his own purposes, and then his work through them and in them, culminating coming of Jesus and fulfillment of prophecy and Jesus living. That you know, So all of that is the framework. That's the basic framework of how Paul thinks about just what Christianity is, what it means, and what it means to follow Christ. So yeah. in essence, really, what he has done and what I think is correct and what, I, in fact, I'm going to advocate a little more if we talk more about certain parts of this, is that we really try to sort of reverse engineer. That is, start with an epistle and say, so how did Paul, if he's the writer of that yeah. one, how did he arrive at these insights, these conclusions? And, you know, obviously the scripture affirms that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So we say, well, yes, that. And beyond that, did God use anything to help guide Paul? We say, well, yeah, 
he worked from his knowledge of the Old Testament, his knowledge of the life of Jesus and his own experience of the Spirit's work through him and others in the life of the early church. Yeah. So there's a sense in which we're just working backwards. We're tracing Paul back to his sources, so to speak. And what, when you go back to the sources, fundamentally, you have this storyline. And then from that storyline, you have this reflection and further kind of comparing of what God did here with what God did there, what God promised with how it was fulfilled. And so there's certainly a, an elaboration, a careful thinking through of connections. But the basic framework is the story. And that's what Ben Witherington III is talking about as Paul's narrative thought world. The categories of his mind were that. Uh, another uh, New Testament theologian named N.T. Wright makes the point that even Paul's most technical theological vocabulary is really tied to this narrative. So one example he uses is Paul uses the little word, the cross, the phrase, the cross. He says, you know, to Paul, what does the cross mean? Well, essentially, it's shorthand for describing God's redemptive purpose, which culminated in Jesus' death on the cross, burial, resurrection, and ascension. But to Paul, the cross, we preach the cross. Well, you know, it's, anybody who's not a foolish literist knows that he's not just talking about Jesus' death on a certain kind of wood arrangement. But it's, it's obvious that Paul is saying, we're teaching about this whole body of events that God did with purpose toward a particular outcome. And we're also talking about the consequences or the ramifications of that for life now and forever. So, but the cross is pegged, it's tied to the storyline of the, of the Bible, central storyline of the Bible. As you look at the epistles, is there is there a argument to be made that that sometimes there are certain themes that you see repeated through those and how would you tie those themes together in, in using narrative but the bible itself at times uses multiple stories around a common theme and so we have that always a precedent i mean one of the most obvious and memorable examples is the three parables that jesus told about the lost uh, coin the lost sheep and then the lost son it, there's, mm -hmm. there's obviously great value in the, the multiplicity of stories around that common thing of rejoicing over the loss that was found. So we certainly have that example from Jesus himself to say this can be done. And there are other instances where biblical stories can be paired. I mean, sometimes um, people will tell an Old Testament event and then pick up a New Testament epistolary text that references that story. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 in the first uh, dozen verses there, Paul is making a specific point about not being spiritually complacent. And he references several incidents from the Exodus and the wilderness wanderings to show the dangers of growing spiritually complacent. And so you know, in that case, to teach that section of 1 Corinthians 10, which is obviously an epistle, you really must go back. If you're going to do justice to it, go back and narrate each of those incidents so that the people you're teaching the, the epistle to have, have a grasp. Oh, this is the point Paul's making because Paul does uh, what we call an allusion, A-L-L-U-S-I-O-N, a, a brief passing reference to it on the assumption that they already know what that event was. And so he doesn't unpack it himself, but he's assuming that they will, that just by his brief mention of a phrase from it or one sentence from it, that they can draw from memory everything that happened in the story, or at least the, 
majority of what happened in the story. And I see this as very similar to when we met with J.O. Terry and we talked about his use of themes, in not necessarily epistles, but he would group stories around a certain topic and do more of a thematical storying, not necessarily the chronological approach that, that sometimes we use. When you do those thematical stories or topical stories, there's the same danger that we face when people do topical preaching and topical, uh, yeah, topical teaching where sometimes people take stuff out of context. So we want to make sure that it really is thematic and we're not forcing that on, on the text. Yeah, for sure. We always want to follow the principles of biblical interpretation. I, I would say that when you are working with entire stories, as opposed to individual verses, just the very fact you're working with an entire story, you're taking a bigger chunk of scripture. And I think that improves the likelihood that you will interpret it correctly, just because you're using Absolutely. A, a larger section in relationship to what what is around it, as opposed to a verse or a phrase that's plucked up out of some other text. Is there any portion of scripture you look at and say, we really can't tell that portion of scripture as narrative? Well, there are a lot of uh, parts of the Bible that are non-narrative. And I think any right appreciation of scripture recognizes that God has given us the Bible in many different genres, and each of them has a purpose in God's plan. Each of them is beneficial and relevant to us. So I don't want to try to make non-narrative literature narrative necessarily. Right. What I'm really trying to do is take non-narrative literature and situate it in the larger narrative of the Bible where it rightly fits, or to connect non-narrative passage to the narrative text that probably, or maybe conclusively does underlie it. So uh, I, I think that it is a mistake to try to force you know, a certain biblical genre to be something absolutely that it is not. But I think it's very right to connect it to its own roots in the storyline. So there are certain Psalms, for instance, that are not tied to any specific event in David's life, say. Some of them are, by the way, and when they are tied to a specific event, then the most natural way to teach that individual psalm is to go back to the event that is referenced in the psalm, narrate that story, make sure people understand the story, and then go back and say, okay, so what is David saying about that event or that series of events? Sometimes he'll look at a whole chunk of uh, Israel's history, but sometimes there are psalms with no explicit uh, reference to a particular event. In that case, I wouldn't try to force it, but I would, you know, just try to help people to deal with it in a in a nice oral way, so that uh, it's not story, but it's still handled in an oral way, so that there's discussion rather than lecture, so that people are invited to uh, store that portion of scripture in their memories to make it part of themselves. Uh, other things that we know are part of effective practice with uh, oral communities. Uh, so I think there are things like that that we do that I, I wouldn't say necessarily. I'm trying to force every text to become a narrative. Yeah. So there's a lot of resources out there that can help people um, with these types of stories. Uh, we'll have some of those in the comments of this podcast, uh, one of which is, is you've written a paper on this this very topic, but we also have some uh, sets of stories that have been developed out of epistles and other 
non-narrative uh, portions of scripture. So we, we could share those and you can, you can delve more deeply into those than we can get into in a podcast. Yeah. One of those examples is using Paul's narrative from Acts about when he, I'm sorry, from Galatians, when he challenged Peter right. for Peter having pulled back from the Gentiles, from eating with the Gentiles. And he challenged Peter on that. Well, it's a great occasion then, as just as Paul does in Galatians, to elaborating then on what is the right relationship of Christianity to Judaism. What is the place of the law and the dietary restrictions in the life of a Christian, Jewish Christian or Gentile Christian? Yeah, in your paper, you talk about uh, how you can ground uh, Philippians back into Acts and connecting the letter to where it where it fits in the uh, the Acts story. So that's a, that's a really good example that's that's there in the paper that you. One of the examples in the paper is where you don't have as clear a narrative connection for an individual uh, passage or command in the epistle. So I talked in the paper about taking a command like Paul's to the church at Ephesus. You may be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. Mm-hmm. And just suggested that uh, you could certainly go back to Old Testament uh, stories or stories from the life of Jesus where you have someone who was angry and sinned, and you see why it's prohibited, and then turn to examples, biblical stories, where someone was angry and it was not an occasion for sin, and why it was not, what enabled it to be a righteous uh, anger, so that the the New Testament command uh, is a prompt to go back to look at biblical incidents that could have laid the foundation for it. And in this respect, we're doing the same kind of thing that one would do with a proverb in the book of Proverbs, because people who study Proverbs say really what you have with a proverb is a crisp expression of an insight that has been distilled from many prior experiences, one's own experiences of others you've heard about. So the proverb crystallizes many stories, uh, the the truth that emerges from many incidents in life. And uh, so, it's very legitimate then, I think. It's true to the nature of what a proverb is to take a proverb and go back and look for biblical instances where the truth of that proverb is very visible and memorable. And the proverb then could be something like a refrain for each of those incidents where you tie the story itself to the proverb's crisp, powerful, pungent phrasing of the core truth to be learned from that incident. So I think one of the other, maybe in closing, one of the other things that is important to say is that Bible storying is is not Bible translation. So we're we're not tied to having to absolutely have every portion of Scripture uh, be able to be presented as a Bible story. And just like my my pastor last Sunday, he he didn't preach the entire Bible from cover to cover in in one sermon. And, and there are portions that I've probably never heard him preach on uh, that this is, we're not, we're not claiming that this is the equivalent of Bible translation or we have to have absolutely everything in there. But I do think that if we have the bigger picture of, of the meta narrative of scripture and then we tie in the, with that meta narrative, the, the other portions as we can, I think that's a, a big help for people as they are learning more about scripture. Very much so. And, you know, what we're talking about here is essentially the same function as preaching, where uh, every uh, every effective preacher uh, studies the scripture, 
individual text frequently, if not an individual text, multiple texts that have a common, legitimately linked uh, message. And, and then you say, okay, how can I communicate this to the people that I'm going to be talking with? And it's very legitimate to adjust one's approach to communication with who your audience is. Uh, we see Jesus doing that. We see Paul doing that in Acts. His uh, address to a group of Jews gathered in a synagogue is quite different from his address to the philosophers at Mars Hill. Uh, so it, there is a legitimate place for shaping how we go at the communication task in light not only of the text that's given us, given us scripture, but also of who our audience is. I think a lot of times the when people first hear about this, a, a, a criticism they'll say immediately as well, but there you, you can't story everything in the Bible. And many of the people groups that we work with, they don't have, but maybe portions of scripture. They don't, certainly many of them do not have the Old Testament. So we're, we're making a, as good of an effort as we can to get significant portions of scripture to uh, people so they can have a fuller understanding of God's word. And I, I like how you, you've done this a few times. We, we talk about storying as a form of proclamation. And so we're, we're trying to proclaim as much of God's word as we can. Yeah. You know, the people who created the Jesus film, which obviously tells the life of Jesus, uh, as they had occasion to, you know, to use that film in uh, evangelistic outreach, it, over time they got a, a pretty good, feedback that told them what parts of the Jesus film were not understandable for lack of enough Old Testament background. Hmm. And so ultimately they actually created a document that lists a selection of passages from the Old Testament that they think ought to be translated and uh, be held as uh, the background that are, that's necessary to really understand the Jesus film because it does presuppose some knowledge of certain things. And it, this is the same kind of thing that I'm talking about here, that we try to make sure that whatever sort of section of the Bible we're uh, teaching, non-narrative section we're talking about today, you know, we provide people with the necessary uh, background in order to understand it rightly. And that, in my judgment, always means that root is the biblical storyline and then the elaborations on it that uh, they go from there. Well, thank you, Grant, for sharing with us today about uh, how to story non-narrative portions of Scripture. As we previously mentioned, there there are some resources that are available in the uh, show notes, and you are able to go deeper into learning more about how to story non-narrative portions of Scripture uh, by referring to those show notes. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you like what you hear, please share it with others. We would really appreciate your helping us get the word out about That Reminds Me of a Story.